0: Hey, Jay here. And it's 4th of July week, I guess. I don't know. It's not like we have a clear picture of who has what days off because 4th of July in the United States, Independence Day, is on a Thursday this year. So like some people have Wednesday half day and some people have Friday off. Uh, I'm kind of just like I'm always working and also never working. Like I have one of those jobs where people are like, so what do you do? Right, and then I have a paragraph to explain to them. It's like, well, you know, I do this and that and that and that. Yeah, you you understand, or, or you probably don't, <laughs> because I don't either. Actually, you know that phrase: "Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." So, so I've found that it's actually do what you love, and you're kind of always working. So, but I do love it. And, anyways, something I don't love, something that really, really annoys me, is traffic. Surprise, surprise. And on the Fourth of July weekend, week days. Uh, Half days, you're just going to sit in a lot of traffic if you're in the United States. I get it. So, whether you're traveling to the beach or the lake or your families or just home from work, I wanted to release a few of my all time favorite unthinkable stories just for those special moments where you're like, I might actually commit homicide right now, uh, but okay, let me put on this podcast and ease my pain. <laughs> so, if that's you, I hope you enjoy what I'm going to call a triple dip of unthinkable episodes. There's a reason I'm calling it a triple dip when I was a kid, we used to go to, I guess it was Dairy Queen. I don't think it was just Dairy Queen that did this, but you could get a soft serve ice cream cone and then they would dip it in this like ultimately fake and chemically, I'm sure chocolate or cherry coating. And then it would harden around your soft serve ice cream. You know what I'm talking about? You might know what I'm talking about. You would, you would basically get this like candy shell created for you they would pour it over the ice cream and it would harden and if you were really a badass kid you would go for the double dip you'd ask them to do it again right so you get an extra big thick shell so maybe just maybe you were insane you'd get a triple dip right what that's impossible you get a triple di- so anyways that's what I'm calling <laughs> these three episodes from the archives I'm gonna call it a triple dip uh because I'm feeling like, I need to go get some ice cream or something. I don't know. Because, again, murdery vibes due to holiday traffic on what's supposed to be just an outdoor grill and ice cream happy weekend. So, all right. Here is the first dip. The first episode, if you will, of Unthinkable. For those of you sitting in traffic, those of you who just want a great story, if you're not sitting in traffic, uh, it's an archived episode. One of our best ever. Enjoy. As craft-driven creators, an emotional, powerful feeling tends to fill us whenever we hear the word creativity. We hear it or we see it, and we perk up and pay attention when someone talks about it. We dream of total creative freedom, and we crave those moments of total creative flow when we're in it, and we're just feeling it, and we're making something that we can obsess over and geek out about. We also surround ourselves with things that we believe will make us more creative, from the big stuff, like finding the right clients or companies or working environments, to the smaller stuff, like the books we read, the notebooks we keep, even the clothes we wear. We love creativity. Oh, yeah. We yearn for a creative life. Oh, yeah. <sighs> and this is the huge problem we all face. All the daydreams and the products and the quirky office spaces and coffee shops in the world can't give us what we actually want as much as one simple thing. Doing the work. On the show today, the bias to act why our love of ideas sometimes gets in our way, and how craft-driven creators turn intuition into action over and over and over and over and over and over. Because our jobs are actually not to be creative. Our jobs are to create. Because we have access to literally everything on the planet thanks to the internet, We can't just do stuff anymore. We have to find the best way to do stuff. And so we meet and we debate and we research and we debate about our research and we meet about our research and we research about our meetings and we debate about our meetings. And suddenly we've wasted tons of time and the entire time we've done nothing. And so... While the rest of the world agonizes over finding the best practice, figuring out the technology, consulting with experts, compiling a 40-slide strategy deck, you know what we should do? Start. We should create. So while everyone is left to meet and debate and research for days and days and days, we simply dive in. It's unthinkable. Even though our jobs are to create, too often, we don't. We don't ship anything. Instead of doing stuff, we get stuck thinking about doing stuff because we love this idea of being creative. In fact, in another episode, The Muse is an Excuse, legendary photographer Chase Jarvis helped us see that waiting around for inspiration to strike or trying to get things right in theory is fundamentally misunderstanding how creativity works. So. If it's all about doing, not thinking about doing, then how do you get yourself going?
1: To them, I am a little bit of a voice of authority because they've hired me, usually, (laughs) to kick their ass.
0: (laughs) This is executive coach Heather Legg, and she spends most of her time helping her clients turn intuition into action. She also sees too many people who waste precious time and energy on inaction.
1: A visual that comes to mind, I use this analogy a lot with my clients, is... Uh, a rocket launching. So <laughs> I'll be like, you're burning fuel on the launch pad. It's time to launch. <laughs> you know, we're, so many of us are constantly burning fuel on the launch pad. Like what a waste. Get it together.
0: But she gets it. It's not always easy to get started on something.
1: I admit pretty freely these days that I'm a recovering perfectionist. So there's definitely an element for me always of If it's going to be half-assed, I'd rather just not even start it.
0: (laughs) And so it's frustrating. Because we want perfection, this often causes us to over-prepare.
1: Stop trying to let it take so long because there's no good reason. You know, that's when the mental, the Slimer, as I jokingly call him, yes, the green Slimer guy from um, Ghostbusters I'm referring to, Slimer gets in there in your brain and starts you over-analyzing and, you know, kind of gets you mired in crap that you don't need to be going down. Part of
0: Heather's job is to help her clients avoid getting stuck. But to get rid of that Slimer, she doesn't advise against all prep time whatsoever. Instead, she says it's about finding small moments of preparation that are focused on launching repeatable
1: actions. It's getting your game face on. So, you know, your, your pro golfers have this pre-shot routine that they go through. And you'll see them, they'll do the same like waggle, they'll, <laughs> you know, the, all this stuff. So each of us can have our own pre-shot routine. So I'll work with my clients on this too.
0: Professional golfers realize that their success comes from consistent, repeatable swings, not going for a hole-in-one every single time. So prior to their swings, they each have their own little waggle to get in the zone. So find your waggle.
1: What's stopping you from moving forward? Go for rough draft in as short a time as you can possibly get, knowing that really in 20 minutes, if you've done that kind of work before, you can probably get a pretty good rough draft that could fly. And you'll be amazed at the quality of work you can generate in a shorter amount of time. Stop
0: over-researching, stop overthinking, and start using your intuition to act.
1: And listening to our gut really listening and going with it. You know, I think we we tend to ignore that piece of ourselves. There's there's some, I mean, it's not voices in the head, <laughs> but there's some sort of, I don't know, you know, prompting that we get and it's different for everybody. And learning to listen to that and and heed it more and more and more just gives you better and better and better results.
0: Okay, so I get it. We can get into the groove with a short pre-work routine, and we should focus on small, repeatable actions rather than getting stuck because we're thinking about that hole-in-one swing every time. And the more we do this, the better each swing gets too, so it increases the odds that we actually get that hole-in-one. But what happens if you build a career entirely around taking swing after swing, action after action? What does it take to create not just a single project, but a big, meaningful, growing body of work?
2: Hello, my name is Alec Brownstein. I'm originally from outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm currently the creative director of Dollar Shave Club in Venice, California.
0: Dollar Shave Club, as many people know, is a service that offers razors and other grooming products and ships them to customers once a month. And just like his company, Alec ships constantly. It's almost like he can't control it.
2: So for me, my creative energy will come out one way or another. And if I don't have somewhere constructive to put it, I get very frustrated. And unfortunately, I'll start becoming destructive. So side projects for me have always been an outlet uh, for me to channel my creative energy and sort of like my restlessness. Uh, And also to be fully in control of something. Too often when you're working on a project for someone else or you're contracted to do something for someone, you have to deliver what they want even if you don't think it's the right thing. But when you do a side project and you're sort of in control of it from start to finish because there are no deadlines and there are no requirements, it's really an opportunity to – do what you think is best and and sort of exercise every creative muscle.
0: He knows that not everyone feels this way, that plenty of creatively driven people still get stuck when it's time to act, but he won't have any of it.
2: And people sometimes come to me and I'm like, that is a great idea. You should make that. And then it's always like, well, but I don't know. And what about this? And what about that? And I'm just like, who cares? Just make it. It's great. Go make it. And then the next time I see them, I'll say, did you make it yet? Have you made it? Why haven't you made it? It's great. And so there's there's always going to be sort of um, there there's always going to be kind of like a reason why not to make something. And you can look for those or you can just look for the one reason to make something and just go do it.
0: This sounds nice in theory, but Alec has also put this into practice over the years again and again and again and again.
2: Uh, I co-authored two books. Uh, I created a site called leaveitontheprinter.com.
0: This let you add a friend's name to an official looking letter, maybe from a doctor about an embarrassing condition or a welcome note from a nudist colony, which you could then print and put on the office printer.
2: And what it would seem like is your friend had accidentally forgotten to pick up his welcome email to the nudist camp.
0: Other projects included Tweetforger, which let you generate real looking tweets from celebrities and MIT flops, which were flip-flops that he launched during the 08 presidential election. Each shoe featured opposing viewpoints on the same issue as stated out loud by Mitt Romney.
2: So depending upon the political wins, you could stand on the correct foot.
0: So uh so at this point in our conversation, Alec literally had to pull up his personal site just to remind himself of the other projects that he created.
2: Um Let's see, another one, i am probably pull up my site.
0: Of all his literally dozens of projects, Alec's most famous idea was the Google job experiment. In 2010, Alex decided that he wanted to work on the creative team of a top tier agency in New York. And so what he did was freaking awesome. Basically, whenever a creative director at his target agencies Googled their own names, they saw an ad at the top of the results from Alec asking for a job. He'd simply targeted their names using Google AdWords and a personalized message about hiring him. He tried this with five creative directors, and of the five, he got an interview with four. He got job offers from two, and he went to work for Y&R. Oh, and uh, by the way, this entire project cost Alec a whopping six bucks
2: So, so what I, what I do is I'll I'll start with some type of a weird, absurd idea. And then I just like, I'm just so interested in what will happen if I make it a reality.
0: The Google job experiment not only landed Alec a job, but a moment of internet fame. The story was absolutely everywhere. Mashable wrote about it. NPR picked it up. Even people at Google couldn't stop talking about it. I was actually working at Google on the AdWords team at the time that Alec did this. And there was this internal buzz among our colleagues about how some guy could use our product in such an atypical creative way. So it's a project to be proud of. It's a portfolio maker. It's that hole in one swing that we all dream of whenever we spend so much time overthinking something. But Alec just sees it as yet another project because the point of our careers isn't to make a project it's to make projects. All of these all of these
2: projects are worthwhile because they're sort of building my body of work. So while a specific project may not have caught fire or made a million dollars or grown into some humongous thing, someone may look at it and say, hey, wait a minute. Check out this thing this guy did. This I hadn't seen this before. This is pretty cool. Maybe we should hire him or maybe we should you know, bring him in to speak or maybe we should hire him as a consultant because he's done this thing. So I, I view it as just sort of pieces of experience even if they don't succeed. And I also have found in my experience that people respect that. That people don't necessarily say, what a loser. He made this project that never got off the ground. They'll say like, that's pretty cool that you did this. It didn't necessarily catch fire. But like, you know, respect to you for making it.
0: What was the most important thinking behind all of Alec's work that he just revealed?
2: They're sort of building my body of
0: work. His body of work. That's what being creative is all about. Showing up day after day taking repeatable swing after repeatable swing to create a body of work. This helps you get past that paralysis and just launch already. You have no time to be stuck. You have a body of work to look out for. And if something fails, fine. You've filed it away in that body of work and you need to recognize that it's not you who has failed. Alec knows this. Alec moves on ideas quickly, but he just as easily moves on from those ideas. The project is not who I am. The
2: project is just what I'm doing. If you define yourself and say like, "Oh, this project will determine whether or not I am a success in life," then the stakes are too high. And you're either never going to make it or you're never going to let it go. There's lots of people have lots of ideas and then it's rare that people will follow through and make the ideas. And then I think it's oftentimes people are like waiting for permission to make the idea or they're waiting for perfection. My attitude is like, it's the internet. Everything lasts for about five minutes and then you're on to the next thing. Just make it. Make it, chuck it out there and see what happens. Make something bad and then the next thing you'll make will be a little bit better.
0: That project you have in your head right now is not who you are. It's simply what you're doing right now. And you'll do lots of things if you're to have a great career. You'll make some good and you'll make some bad. That project is also not your legacy. Your body of work is your legacy. So instead of thinking this one project is the key to all meaningful work, think this body of work is the key to my meaning. And you won't create that body of work by sitting around thinking about doing something. No way. You'll only create that body of work by actually, finally, doing. So, what are you waiting for? Look, I get it. You probably have this internal guide this feeling or even voice that's urging you to go make something. But then you somehow get locked in this never ending conversation or outright battle with that guide. And the conversation always unfolds the same way. Did we think through this enough? Did we consider all our options? Did we find the best way, the best practice? What will others think? Maybe we should go get a friend's feedback first. It's just a quick email. It's just a tweet out to the world. But that internal voice or guide, that's your intuition. And without it, you can't create. But if you don't act on your intuition, it's totally useless. It's a wasted resource. So if you're so panicked about wasting your time, wasting your energy, or wasting a project that it prevents you from acting, just think, there's nothing more terrible than wasting your intuition. It may never, ever be the perfect time to act but it's always the right time. So, do your little golfer's waggle before you take your swing, and above all else, just make it, it's great, go, make it.